live from the Redeemer Radio 95.7 studios in the shadows of the Golden Dome, this is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. The 3-0 fourth-ranked Irish football team will wrap up a four-game homestand to start a bizarre 2020 season this afternoon and that's really good news for the Irish as of Thursday Irish coach Brian Kelly says Notre Dame has zero not one zero in isolation or quarantine for the first time since September 8th so no Irish players in isolation or quarantine and welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays Notre Dame FCU where Eubank does matter on Angel DiCarlo Notre Dame set to host one in three Louisville this afternoon kickoff set for 2:30 at Notre Dame Stadium the Irish coming off a 42-26 win over Florida State last Saturday in Indy's first game back in three weeks joined as always this morning by Kevin Downey Kevin certainly looked like the Irish hadn't played in three weeks especially during that first quarter against FSU last week what what can we expect do you think today well, it sounds like they had a normal week of practice, so I would assume that they're going to be back at it. And really, the game was a little bit closer than it had to be, I think, just because it's two special teams plays, those two muff punts. I know it's at different points of the game, but I think that really kind of helped help Florida State gain a little momentum. It, it's interesting when you have the opportunity to kind of go on the air in this show and talk about it a week after it happened, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe five minutes after the game ended. When you're like mentally, you're like, you're in that position, uh, someone watching it because you remember the first quarter, maybe mm. more than you remember the last three quarters. And then as the week goes on, you remember, okay, you know, it was just really a bad first quarter and they were getting the kinks out a little bit, but yeah. still have concerns because they haven't really played a complete game and they haven't played anyone good yet. Every team they played this year has stunk. So it's, it's hard to evaluate this team in every way imaginable. So you're not buying that they'll the opponent always brings its best game for Notre Dame, huh? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm I'm yeah, yeah no. And, and didn't the opponent always bring their best game against Florida State too? Except for when Notre Dame's four and eight a couple years ago, was everyone bringing their best game against Notre Dame? Enough. They're bringing their best game because Notre Dame's good. They're ranked in the top five. That's why, not because they're Notre Dame. I, I'm sick of that argument. Because if Notre Dame stinks on a certain year, then they might not be bringing their best game. So that was a pre Sorry. pre-show conversation. You took that, the bait. That yeah, I took the bait. Why not? <laughs> All right. On top of this morning show, our spotlight interviews with South Bend native and former Irish softball player Deb Bullock, who on Tuesday became the first female to ever produce a national primetime broadcast of an NFL game. Next segment, we'll debate who's the most impact impactful player on the Irish besides the quarterback we took that p- position out of the mix if you want to vote and weigh in just head to twitter.com slash DiCarlo. later we'll break down the matchup with Louisville but let's start with Notre Dame having zero players in quarantine and isolation Kevin this is certainly a uh, big news a- and really as you kind of mentioned they finally had a normal week of practice you know last week they had two players unavailable Myron Taglavoa Mosa and Jack Kaiser those guys returned at some point this week we don't we don't know how much they'll be able to play mm-hmm. today because we don't know how much they got in and how long they were really out. Um, but, you know, last week guys were just coming back as the week was going on. It sounded like it was chaos in terms of, is this guy ready? Is this guy ready? Yeah. And that's a lot different as a coach versus where you have, okay, I pretty much have everybody except for two guys available to me. Last week it sounded like, Five guys came back on Tuesday. Eight guys came back on Wednesday. Six guys came back on Thursday. Some guys came back Saturday. You know, so I think it's a lot different for them th- this week. Well, it has to be uh, a studying influence, like you said at the beginning, back to September eighth. Like that's weeks and weeks and weeks of that's kind the of first chaos, week of the season, right? <laughs> There's just people coming, going. You know, having to deal with the whole quarantine, and then they had to reload all their procedures. You know, because they had the. Uh, Outbreaks and quarantine things. So, yeah, uh, I would think that Brian Kelly would be really pumped about a normal week. Now, it's worth pointing out that was as of Thursday. We know a lot can change True. in a couple of days. There would have been more testing. So, we'll anxiously await the quote unquote unavailable list that'll be released before the game. Maybe there won't be an unavailable list released before the game, and that would indicate that everybody's available. That would be a really good sign, and that would be the first game all year that that would be the case. All right, here's what Brian Kelly had to say about finally getting a normal week of practice for the first time all season. You know, from my perspective, you you feel complete. You know, you've got your team together. And 
you, you have depth, uh, you have competition, um, you have uh, practices that are uh, a lot different because, you know, they're structured in a manner that brings that competitiveness out, um, you know, during, during your preparation. Uh, it also helps in terms of, you know, making sure that the workload is uh, balanced out amongst everybody on the team. As we worked hard to get back, the workload was not balanced out. You know, we were getting guys back, but uh, some had to carry a lot more of the load. And quite frankly, many of you didn't know this, but it affected guys how they performed on Saturday because they carried way too much workload to get others back. They had to take a lot more reps than they normally did. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it could explain why this team has struggled out of the gate in, in a couple of games this season. To me, it means they definitely should have a good, good start to this game. They have no excuse now yeah. to not play well from the opening kickoff and to be able to pound an opponent that like Louisville, who's not good at one and three, they should be able to, to easily, it's a Catholic radio station. We probably shouldn't talk about gambling, but cover the spread at 16 and a half. They should, they should win by 30 tonight against uh, today against Louisville. If they play to their performance. Well, and they should have a good first half to get off to a good start. I didn't even think, but the, yeah, the whole, uh, the depth and competition, I don't quite get how, you know, the players could have uh, more reps, but I'm sure the normal practice procedures and rotations had to be out the window. So, um, yeah, I, I think a normal week is going to be exactly what they need. All right, uh, some injury updates. Penn High School alum uh, Paul Moala out for the season. will have surgery to repair a torn Achilles. A shame to see that. Isaiah Pryor will now back up Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa at Rover. Just a really tough blow for uh, Paul Moala, who's, who's really – I mean, he's behind Jeremiah Usukamoa, right? So you know he's waiting for his opportunity. When he's been on the field, he's shown good signs. Mm -hmm. I think he's proven a lot of doubters wrong that he's more than capable of competing at this level. But unfortunately, it's just it's always tough to see that happen to any player who's waiting for their opportunity. And then it's especially when it's a local kid to to go down like that. Well, and he did well on special teams too. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it it is sad. Lawrence Keyes will it was in the final steps of concussion protocol as of Thursday. Unclear field play today. Kevin Austin could be the one back there returning punts. It sounds like he's all clear. Didn't do anything really. Had one or two attempts his way and did nothing. They didn't give him too many opportunities. But I think that was just get he hasn't played in two years. Yeah. So I think that was getting his feet wet. And it sounds like if they're willing to put him back there on punt returns, that they think he's he's ready to go. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do today. Well, and I think for that specialist position, punt return, you uh, it's not bad to give another guy a shot. Not, yeah, not that yeah well, bad, that didn't really go so well last yeah. week, for sure. Competition there is not bad. All right, uh, what's your thoughts on the Irish defense last week? Oh, I thought they were really sound. I thought a lot of different guys played really well. You thought really they were well. sound? Again, I think that the two muff punts masked the whole deal. Uh, uh, I just was underwhelmed. Like, even even – after the beginning of the game, they still were underwhelming. Now, I mean, they had, I mean, obviously Jeremiah Wusukomo and Kyle Hamilton do special things, mm -hmm. but I just don't feel like I don't feel like they dominated on the on, up front, and I just felt like they they let Florida State hang around for a little bit. They didn't they didn't they didn't force anything on them. They're not. I don't know. I I, I expect more from a Clark Lee defense now. Well, statistically they're good <laughs> i think it's just that emotional feeling i don't know maybe i'm wrong i thought that a lot of people played and a lot of people played really well they're really consistent like you said high expectations with clark lee i mean they they consist they uh, statistically gave up 26 points in the game so um <laughs> to florida state who stinks uh speaking of now this could play into the factor of again of guys just coming back right a lot of the defensive guys they didn't have many corners. They had to play Sean Crawford at corner mm -hmm. instead of safety. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that that could be a big factor in this game uh, of why they struggled early on because guys were just coming back. Let's hear what Jeremiah Owusu-Kermoa and Brian Kelly had to say about the play of Notre Dame's defense. Oh uh, well, there's been some bumps and there's been some highs. There's been some lows and highs. So um, you know, one game we may be good, another game we may um, you know have some things to correct, and that's the process of you know being a 
a defense being, you know, people in ourselves, you know, being imperfect. It's not the kind of defense that uh, Clark has, has uh, put out there, nor the kind of defense that I want to put out there. Um, there are some factors that, um, you know, uh, were unique in that, that we had a lot of those guys that were not practicing during the week, and it showed. And you've got to practice this game to be at your very best. Um, and so it showed. Um, again, um, I think there were some uncharacteristic um, defensive, um, uh, I, I would say, um, lapses, if you will, that uh, occurred that uh, we don't normally see. But we will address those, and our guys are aware of them, and uh, they'll be corrected uh, for this weekend. All right, so Brian Kelly pretty much just said that right there. That yeah. I, I would say I would categorize categorize that as an explanation not an excuse mm -hmm. but my point now is okay they better be good today because there should be no there's no that that explanation is not in play today For he sure. just said he had his full roster all week so the defense should be lights out today i think yeah i would think so i uh <laughs> I guess he's a little bit more critical of their defense than I was. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Usually it's the armchair quarterbacks that chirp in negatively. That, that's the thing. Well, I am, I'm chirping in. You're, you're not. You're, you're like, oh, everything's all well and good. All right, big thank you to Tyrac for their support of our internship program that we run with students from St. Joseph and Marion High Schools here in Michiana. The students receive practical college-level internship experience helping out with our broadcast of high school football. Wouldn't be possible without the underwriting support from the folks at Tyrac. More tires, great prices. Visit TireRack.com. Uh, okay, so we talk about the defense, and I feel like they've had some problems. You think they were fine. Uh, but the offense, they didn't seem to have many problems at all last week. No, they look really, really solid. And, I, again, I think it starts with the offensive line up front. Yeah. You know, uh, having Ian Book back at quarterback, and then they have a lot of threats at uh, running back. Obviously, <laughs> they broke the game open. Yeah, Kyron Williams, uh, 185 yards rushing, two touchdowns last week. Did have that fumble early on, that, but then he made up for it pretty quickly. And, and then Chris Tyree had uh, 103 yards rushing as well in the game. And then what would you think of Book? Uh, you feel like he played, played a good game? I mean, I know we always are highly – well, he gets highly criticized. Uh, what do you think about how he looked last week? I thought he had a good game. Yeah, I thought he did really well. Um, again, we, we really haven't seen that wide receiver position in any downfield throws. You know, anything really big, but maybe they don't really need to get into that. They have good enough tight ends and uh, good enough running backs so that, that can be the focus of, of the deal as long as they don't get behind. Yeah, and you mentioned the offensive line. I mean, just they they dominated Florida State again. They, I, you mentioned it last week. They're not going to get tested against Florida State because Florida State's defensive line is not very good. They, I don't know if they didn't get tested, but they made sure it wasn't a competition. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Florida State at least had some some standout players at every level, but they uh, not enough of them. <laughs> and, and Notre yeah. Dame played as a unit. All right, here's what uh, Ian Book had to say about Notre Dame's O line and run game. I'm truly blessed. I really feel like we have the best line in the country. I've been with all these guys for a long time, and um, they just lay it all on the line, you know, to protect me, to protect the running backs, and they're just fun to be out there with. That's what I notice the most. I have so much fun out there. I trust all of them, and um, i honestly just blessed I have that whole line. I really feel like we have the best line in the country, and day in and day out at practice, they show that, and that's what also boosts my confidence. I know they can get it done on Saturday. All right, and then on top of that, you know, Leon Eichenberg went out for a quarter. Aaron Banks shifted to left tackle. Dylan Gibbons came in at left guard, mm -hmm. and the Irish didn't slip at all. That's a really good sign. Again, it's Florida State. They're not playing their best. But the fact that – They have somebody have to step in for sure. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think if you didn't know – everyone knew Eichenberg was hurt, right? We all yeah. saw the eye. Um, but if you didn't know, I don't know if you – if you tuned in late and you, and you – or you went to – you went to get – food when Eichenberg got hurt you might not have realized that there was any change on the offensive line yeah that's like as big of a compliment as you can give when they make that ch that change in my opinion for sure and I think it shows that depth again year after year they're good with uh recruiting offensive linemen and building them up that's just become a position of strength which is great all right so we mentioned uh Jeremiah Wusokomo we've mentioned Kyle Hamilton we mentioned Liam Eichenberg we mentioned Kyron Williams coming up 
We'll hear from Liam Eichenberg about his eye. We'll hear from Jeremiah Usokomo about what it's like to make those big hits in a game. And we'll hear from Brian Kelly on his praise of Kyle Hamilton. And besides the quarterback, which of those guys that we've talked about is the most impactful player on the Irish in 2020? We'll debate that next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays on Redeemer Radio. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Well, it was the Holy War last night here in Michiana, and who was not very good, not very close. Marion winning 48-0 over St. Joe. Congratulations to the Knights on being NIC champions for the fourth time in five years and their first time since moving up to the big school division. Next week, the opening round of football sectionals will have playoff coverage in both Fort Wayne and South Bend, and Michiana will broadcast Marion hosting Lakeland. Tailgate talk airing in both Michiana and Fort Wayne next Friday at 6 p.m. All right, welcome back to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Angel DiCarlo, Kevin Downey as we get you set for Notre Dame and Louisville coming up at 2.30 this afternoon. Our poll question this week, besides the quarterback, who is the most impactful player on the Irish? The percentages went, well, here are the options. Liam Eikenberg, Kyle Hamilton, Jeremiah Owusu-Karmoa, and Kyron Williams. More than 800 people voted. Liam Eikenberg got 10% of the vote. No love ever for those offensive linemen. Kyle Hamilton got 25%. Kyron Williams got 27%, and Jeremiah Wusukermoa, according to our Twitter followers, 38% say he's the most impactful player on the Irish besides Ian Book at quarterback. So, Kevin, what are your thoughts on that? Do, do you agree or do you disagree? Well, I think JOK is the only one we haven't really seen off the field a lot with the backup in. Um, I, it's tough because, again, Kyle Hamilton, he is a great player, and he just catches your eye. As you said, with uh, Liam Eichelberg, the offensive line doesn't get a lot of love, but we did even mention the last segment that when he went out that, you know, people plugged in. I I would have to vote for the uh, running back, Kyrie really? Williams, even though they're loaded and there's lots of guys behind. That player is uh, explosive, at least, you know, from the uh, aftermath of last game. He really impresses me. See, I would have not thought you would have went there because, in my opinion, Kyron Williams is – Again, I, he could be really good, but he is the one that benefits the most from, from the, the offensive, offensive line. line. Okay, <laughs> if the offensive line is not good, yeah. Kyron Williams is not probably doing what he's doing. In my opinion, I don't yeah. know. It's well, and he's emerging. It's early in the year. Yes. So, so I would take him out of the mix. In my opinion, Eichenberg is hurt by the fact that obviously you evaluate an offensive line as a whole, mm-hmm. and and he is not, you know, uh, Quentin Nelson. <laughs> so yeah. you would notice if it's Quentin Nelson. So th- so he gets hurt by that. And as you mentioned, you take him out of the mix and they play well last week. People are like, well, obviously it wasn't that impactful because they didn't play more poorly. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Usukarmoa right now with Paul Malala now out maybe becomes even more impactful in my opinion. But I believe it's Kyle Hamilton because here's why. You got Sean Crawford back there who's in his sixth year. The corner's... I still have a lot of question marks about the corners. I understand so that. I feel like you take Kyle Hamilton out of that mix, that secondary becomes very questionable. I think he disguises a lot back there and makes that secondary seem good, very good. But without him, I don't know if it would be that good. So in my opinion, it's it, it's Kyle Hamilton. Uh, Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated said, voted in, and he said Liam Meikenberg. Doug Hefferin said he met JOK this summer. That has nothing to do with the question. <laughs> Super great dude, but he did say he's an absolute animal on defense. I would definitely agree with that. Ryan Polizzato said, hard to answer. I would say Hamilton simply because he can cover so much field. It's really incredible the athlete he is, and all around I feel the best player on the team. I would agree with that. I think he is the best player on the team. And Andrew said, I chose Hamilton based on the depth behind him. 
Well, L.E., J.O.K., and K.W. all have been great so far this year. The drop-off from Hamilton to the next man in seems so much great than the drop-off, so much greater than the drop-off would be for the other three guys. The only thing I'd say to that, I don't know. J.O.K. to Isaiah Pryor now, I would say that drop-off's probably pretty significant. So that's the only thing I would counter there. Do you think Kyle Hamilton's the best player on the team? Or do I do. You? Okay. I do. Well, and I think it helps to, number one, the position he plays. He's out. You can see him all over the field, so you can see him use that uh, great speed. And then the way that they use him, they'll plug him into the box. They have him do about everything, which makes sense because he can intercept the ball. He can hit people super hard. He's a sound tackler. He makes lots and lots of plays. Um, but they also use him well, too. All right. I'm going to throw this one out there. And go down the rabbit hole. Since you said Kyron Williams, I know the answer to this. But if we put Ian Book in the mix, who's the most impactful player on the team? <sighs> Gotta say Ian Book. Could you? Yeah. I'm saying Kyle Hamilton still. I'm pretty sure that if we're watching the game and Ian Book gets hurt on the first series, you're going to text me. <laughs> I'm just, I think something is going to be like, oh, everybody will take a collective deep breath if uh, Book goes out. I, I will say this. I think if any of these guys were out, they'd still be 3-0. and um, So, yeah, maybe Ian Book would make a difference against the, the later in the schedule and they play Pittsburgh next week or Georgia Tech, Clemson, or North Carolina later on in the schedule. Certainly uh, Clemson. I don't know. I still go with Kyle Hamilton because I think, you know what? To beat Clemson, you if you, you don't need a difference maker. Well, I'll say this. If you don't have Kyle Hamilton in the back of the defense against Trevor Lawrence, I don't think you're beating Clemson. Yeah. So, but if you don't have You may not beat him. <laughs> they're pretty pretty strong. <laughs> I know. It all comes down to the Clemson game. That's the crazy thing. Every evaluation comes down to Clemson. All right, let's talk about Jeremiah Uso-Kromoa a little bit more that uh Tied for the team high in tackles this season with 15. Had five tackles, two for loss against Florida State. Uh, I spoke to Jeremiah Usakomoa and Kyle Hamilton this week about those big hits JOK's been making. And I asked JOK, uh, what's it like to to make those hits? Can you feel the hits uh, w w when you're making them? When you make a big hit, you know, you you, you, know, you don't want to celebrate right away. You want to make sure your body your body's fine in itself. But, you know, the energy automatically flows, um, you know, when things like that happen, you hear the audience, you see your teammates running over, you want to celebrate with them. And, you know, it's all fun and games at that point, but you always got to make sure that you reset um, because the next play is coming up. So, Kyle, what was it like uh, seeing Jeremiah Wusukarmoa put on some of the hits and the tackles that he was making? One of the most athletic, versatile players I've ever played with. And he shows you guys every Saturday, but shows us Monday through Sunday. So, um, it's just a blessing to be able to play with a guy like that. And like I said, we just feed off his energy as a defense and a play like whatever he had big, big hit he had. That just made us as a team um, took our energy to the next level that we needed. I still think uh, Jeremiah Uso Kamaro won the poll simply because everyone went, ooh, on a couple of those hits that he made. <laughs> no, he's playing great. And again, I think what's neat about watching um, him is that they – Clark Lee does such a great job of using people's uh, strengths. So he does so well in space. And if you kind of notice as you watch JOK and the safety, Cal Hamilton, they usually are kind of opposite of each other, um, whether it be formation or whether it be the field or boundary. But they, they tend to balance out the defense in that one's on one side and one's on the other. And they, they're impactful, obviously, in different ways. Um, but, yeah, he, he keeps getting better and better and better. And his skill sets, I guess I'm surprised with the tackles for loss. Five tackles for loss – or uh, leads the team best four tackles for loss because he is out in space so much. <laughs> so there's a lot of, of time and space for him to, to get in and close in and make those big hits. Uh, speaking of Kyle Hamilton, he's tied with JOK for tackles on the team with 15, which is impressive because he's only played in two of the three games. Uh, and he's a free safety. And <laughs> Third line of defense, yeah, in theory. Right. Uh, team best eight tackles versus Florida State. Here's what Brian Kelly had to say about Kyle Hamilton this week. He's a difference maker. I mean, he covers ground like no safety that, that I have coached. Um, he plays with physicality. Um, he's smart. Uh, He's a he's a terrific football player, and um, his presence is felt out there. Uh, he closes 
he is a, he's an eraser too. I mean, you can put him on somebody and, and, and just by his size, um, he, he just, he makes it difficult for teams to, um, to go into his, his area. He's an eraser. I think that was that was the quote that stood out to me uh, about Kyle Hamilton. And I think that's it's a great way to describe. Him. Yeah, I mean, he just makes such a big impact, and I guess his size too. You, you forget. Um, you notice the physicalness it when he's to, that he brings. You know, he's so tall and rangy compared to Sean a lot Crawford. Of DBs. Well, yeah. okay, especially Sean Crawford. Sean Crawford, who's not. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Liam Meikenberg. Uh, got poked in the eye. I mean, man, he looked like Rocky out there. You know, I thought oh. he, I thought someone was going to say "cut me, Mick" at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, came back in the game with his eyes shut, missed a full quarter, and well, so why was he out for so long? Pretty good reason. Here's why. You know, at, at first when I came out of the game, the biggest issue was I didn't have my contact in. So I was trying to get that thing in. It was just kind of tough because it was so swollen. And I ended up running back into the locker room trying to get it in. I mean, it took a full quarter to get in. Um, in regards to my vision being impaired, I would say it was fine. Um, I could I could see for the majority of the time, but I guess like towards the end of drives, it was pretty swollen. So I had to come off and ice it. But uh, I mean, I was just happy to be out there, happy I could can, uh, continue to play. My teammates were, they just kind of looked at everyone like, oh my God. Um, I really didn't realize how bad it was until I got in the locker room. I mean, I, I could still kind of see out of it. Um, I just didn't realize how swollen it was at the time. It took him a full quarter to get a contact in. I mean. Oh, it looked bad. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I mean, that shows you how bad it was. My well, question is, did they even need to put the contact in at that point? Why don't you just keep it? <laughs> Maybe just keep Half it shut. Yeah, just yeah, put a patch on and go with one eye the rest of the way. That that was that was a gutty performance. And he just really, so tough. I mean, I that looks so painful. I mean, if if we put out a poll right now that said who's the toughest player on the Irish, I could list anybody, and I think there'll probably be that picture is in our mind. No, I know. I think there'd be one person to vote for somebody, but I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Eichenberg will get 99 percent of the vote right now. I mean that. That was impressive, and and I gotta imagine that's gonna be. Let, let's not undersell it. Offensive lineman playing with one eye, essentially. Yeah. That's gotta be really hard to do. It has to be pretty inspiring to all of his teammates too. I mean, that takes a certain level of toughness. That looked really painful. Yeah, no question. Uh, so pretty unbelievable what Liam Eikenberg was able to. Pre- perform in, in that game all right if you're listening to this show chances are you are a football fan so how about tuning into a new redeemer radio show hosted by a former super bowl champion local south bend attorney and former new york giant chris godfrey's new show the sandwich generation airs new episodes mondays at 12 30 here on redeemer radio now what is the sandwich generation it's the group of people that have to care for aging parents while also raising their own kids there are going to be some great life lessons each week for every age group in this show. The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. New episodes every Monday at 1230 here on Redeemer Radio. All right, up next, Deb, Go- Deb Bulak grew up in the ultimate Notre Dame family. In fact, her family is the first immediate family to have everyone graduate from Notre Dame. This Tuesday, the South Bend native and St. Joe high grad made even bigger history, becoming the first female to ever produce a national primetime broadcast of an NFL game. And she feels like her late dad, Brian, was right there next to her as she made history. Our conversation next the Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Looking for a fresh way to start your day? Need a little pick-me-up for your faith in the morning? We've got you covered with the Daily Refill. Join me, Andrea Serrani, weekday mornings from 7 to 8 for the best Catholic podcast, stories of faith from around the world and right here in our own community, plus some fun and games to help us start our days with faith and joy. Tune in weekdays at 7 for the Daily Refill on Redeemer Radio and in the Redeemer Radio app. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has become the bank of choice for a great many Catholic parishes and schools in our listening area. This fall, Notre Dame FCU will once again provide hundreds of thousands of dollars to support these partners, including another $70,000 for the Marion Knights. Does your bank do that? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you're ready to share values. Why not share in our benefits? All right, in June, Brian Bulak, a true representative of what it is to be a Notre Dame man, died at the age of 79. 
Coach Bullock played tight end at Notre Dame and then spent 40 years working in Notre Dame athletics as a football assistant coach, the first softball coach in school history, and an athletic administrator. Most, most of all, he was a great man. I was blessed that, for some reason, he cared what I thought about Notre Dame football, and we had some great conversations in my early years here at in South Bend. I learned a lot from him about Notre Dame in that time. He and his wife, Mickey, had four have. Four daughters, all six in the family, have graduated from Notre Dame, and one of those daughters has followed her dad into the football world. Deb Bulak is a 1993 Notre Dame grab. She attended Holy Cross grade school and St. Joseph High School, and this week she became the first female to ever produce a national primetime broadcast of an NFL game. She told me this week her dad is her hero, and she believes he was right there by her side on Tuesday night. Here's my conversation with the groundbreaking CBS producer, Deb Bulak. Take us back to Tuesday night and just what the whole experience was like. It was unbelievable. It's exactly what you would anticipate that type of opportunity for somebody getting it for the first time would be. It was, you know, I felt like I was back playing softball in college, you know, because I was, I was excited. I was nervous, but a good kind of nervous, you know, when you get those, it's like, I can do this, but it's like, it's it's a great feeling, but everybody on my crew was amazing. Everybody did their job and we all had each other's back. And it was just, it was a fun night and a, a really good broadcast that I'm proud of. And we just all had a great time. And it was, I know there's going to be a lot of women behind me, um, but it's it's such an honor and, and a gift that I was given that opportunity. Was there a possibility of you guys getting replaced because this became a bigger game? Maybe one of the crews that are higher on the tonal pole, you know, they bring the Nance Romo crew over perhaps or something like that. Was that a, was that a possibility of something that could have happened here? Well, if they had that discussion, they never said it to us the entire time. They told us that we were doing this game and that is a testament to the type of leadership is that's at CBS, Sean McManus and David Burson, Harold Bryant and Steve Karasik. The entire time this was going on, they just told us that we could do this, that they believed in us and that we were going to do the game. And they said that we have so much depth in our different crews and we're not going to change it. We're, we believe in you and we know you can do this game. And, you know, I think that Tom McCarthy and Jay Feely, and A.J. Ross did a heck of a job calling the game, and I think that they made the right decision. I think that we really showed that we put on a really good broadcast. You know, your uh, your dad passed away this past June, and I know he was uh, – I always enjoyed uh, my interactions with him over the years. I don't know why he cared about my opinion, but he seemed to. Did you feel like your dad was, was with you during the game? I feel like almost in a way that maybe his passing was so he could be right there next to you during this amazing opportunity. <laughs> He definitely was. I have to tell you, it's crazy. I did last week. I did um, a game in Cincinnati, and I just felt a little bit more clarity about myself um, sitting in that seat. And I definitely feel him with me. Um, it t- you know it takes me back to uh, when I was little. I was the one that would get up at four thirty in the morning with him on Sunday mornings and go to mass at six a.m. So I could sit with him all day in the film room and watch football film with him when I, you know, when I'm like four or five years old and all the way up until he became an athletic director that I always would do that with him. And when, you know, it's just, I, I always felt like I had my dad with every game, but this obviously now it's even more special and I miss him every day, but I definitely feel him giving me a little bit more guidance now. What were those experiences like? growing up uh, the daughter of a Notre Dame football assistant coach and getting those opportunities probably to be around the team a lot, but also just to to be around your dad as he's studying film. And how much did that obviously pave the way for you to be in the position you are in today? Well, you know, growing up, it was kind of a, a roller coaster with my dad being a football coach because Notre Dame would have great seasons. They won national championships. And when I was young, it seemed like we were always going to bowl games and always you know, it, it was a real high the whole time. And um, when that was going on, everybody loves you. But, you know, there were some bad years and some of the kids in school would tease me. So me knowing everything that I would know and I'd be like, well, if he would have run, run the route route and, you know, they would have done this on this play and, 
you know, just different things like that because I watched film with my dad and, and they wouldn't know what to say because they didn't know the game as well as I did. And growing up, everybody, you know, all the kids, boys and girls knew that football was just my passion. And it was because, you know, my dad was my hero and just I wanted to be every place he was and do everything he was doing. And I loved the game because he loved the game. And he and so, you know, it's just I, I guess that's just, you know, where it came from. Deb Bullock, 1993 Notre Dame graduate, joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Her dad, Brian, former uh, Notre Dame football assistant coach, Deb, uh, became the first female period to produce an NFL primetime football game. Growing up in, in the Bullock household, uh, your mom was a 1983 Notre Dame Law grad. So you had a lot of pride, a lot of Notre Dame love in that house. And I, I imagine there was a lot of Catholic love in that house, too. What was it like growing up in the Bullock household? Well, we definitely, we, you know, we were a family that went to mass every, every holiday, every Sunday, we never missed mass. You know, it was, you know, either you went really early with my dad or you went to 10 a.m. mass with my mom. And it was something that was just natural. And we always did. And we all went to Catholic school from grade school to high school and through Notre Dame, all, we have four girls in my family four D's they called us because we we're all Dawn's and East Debbie Diane. And uh, we all uh, went to Notre Dame. And when my younger sister, my, as you mentioned, my mom went to law school at Notre Dame. And when my younger sister, Diane graduated, we received a letter, which I, and this is what I was told. And I'm pretty sure we did because when my younger sister graduated, we were the first family to have everybody in our immediate family have a degree from Notre Dame. Wow. Because back when my mom went to school, she went to St. Mary's but she couldn't go to Notre Dame because mm. it was an all male school. Um, so, you know, it, it's, you know, obviously it's something that we bleed blue and gold and obviously our faith is very strong. So it's something that I carry with me every day and everything I do, you know, we, it's something that my parents did a very good job raising us in the Catholic faith and beliefs and, um, it's something that I'm trying to instill in my daughter now. She's nine, so she's going to Catholic school. <laughs> and, and you you went to Holy Cross grade school, St. Joe High School, Notre Dame. So Catholic schooling all, all your entire life. Um, yep. you, get, you got any fun memories of your days at uh, maybe Holy Cross grade school you could share? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I don't know if you – I don't know if, if you remember any, like, uh, athletes growing up, but uh, there was this uh, – this uh, young man in my class, Rodney Holmes, who was a really good basketball player. He came in second in Mr. Basketball in high school, but he went to grade school with me. And I just remember when we were little, like all of us like racing and I always wanted to run with the boys. And he was, <laughs> and when I was young, I could run with them. Like he was the only one faster than me out of the boys. They're probably, they're probably, if they listen, they'll probably, someone else probably thinks they were, they weren't. But, <laughs> but I just, you know, I, I loved like, you know, playing sports and, and always playing basketball with the boys. And I have a lot of great memories. I had a lot of great friends growing up and, um, and, you know, but my whole life is all revolving around sports. And, um, you know, obviously um, from the, my whole grade school experience, my dad was a football coach. So that was, you know, what, how I was raised and I was raised around football and having football players over to our house. Cause they were like our brothers, you know, and, and, you know, my parents would have them over for dinner and, and uh, they would scare all, all our prospective boyfriends away, you know, so we never because there are these huge guys in our in our house. So but it was fun. You know, you mentioned you guys being the first family to everyone graduating from that, but that almost didn't happen. You almost ended up at UCLA to play softball. And do, do you think almost your dad finagled things a little bit to start the Notre Dame softball program to keep you in town? I, I know you mentioned that before the interview as a possibility. Well, I said I always wanted to play softball at UCLA, but my dad, when I was in high school, uh, you know, he, he kind of uh, twisted Dick um, Rosenthal's arm to um, start softball at Notre Dame so he could convince me to stay. Um, but I, I probably would have ended up going to Notre Dame anyway. I mean, it, it's it's a hard place to leave, and, and it's really – it's always been in my heart and in my soul. I, I love Notre Dame, and obviously it's you know, comes from my dad. He was amazing for us because he had so many chances to be a head football coach someplace and he never wanted to leave Notre Dame because mm. he wanted us to grow up there and he thought it was such a special place and really wanted us to go there. And 
he was worried that he wouldn't get back if he left. So he never left because he, his heart was always there. And, it, and he would go to interviews and they'd ask him a question and he'd always go back to Notre Dame and they'd be like, why are you here? You know, he just, he said he couldn't look a parent in the face if he was going to recruit and tell them, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to give your child the best education and, and college experience if he wasn't at Notre Dame he truly believed that Notre Dame was that experience for every young man and woman that he was recruiting. We mentioned a lot about talking about your dad, Brian Bullock, of course, former Notre Dame football assistant and then uh, the first Notre Dame softball coach. Uh, but what was it like playing for him? I loved it. Like he, you know, he was, everyone called him like a, like a soft marshmallow. Like he looks like he's tough, but you know, he looks like he's a bear, but he's really just a soft marshmallow. He cares about everybody so much. And he, and when he has a, he had one of those booming voices. You could hear it anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I've never heard anybody that had a louder voice than my dad. I don't, I, I really haven't. Um, he just had that coach's voice, but you could hear him if he was yelling at, on the field at Notre Dame. We lived about two miles away, and I swear you could hear him. Like he was just so loud. But when he yelled, it was because he knew you had more potential. So if he was yelling at you, it was good. If he wasn't yelling at you, then maybe you should think about a different career path. Now, as you kind of transcend and become this uh, groundbreaker, this uh, this individual, the first female to ever produce a, a, an NFL primetime game, you know, what do you want to see now for for this industry in terms of getting more more females I- involved? Um, you know, I worked on production crews, you know, in the late '90s, early 2000s when I was first getting started, and it was all guys. I mean, maybe there was one girl here and there. It, it wasn't easy if you were a girl trying to get in on those crews. So, you know, where do, where do you feel we're headed and what do you feel has to happen to get um, more females involved in these in, in football broadcasts? Well, I think we're headed in that direction. But I have to tell you, when I first got to uh, CBS back, well, even when I was at NBC, there was like Carol Larson and Lisa Lacks were both uh, incre- and, and Molly Solomon. Um, like they were incredible women in this industry that were already making waves. Like Molly Solomon now, uh, she's not Molly Solomon anymore, but she's married and has a beautiful family, but she is, you know, one of the executives at NBC. So, you know, there's a number of women that have done amazing things before me. And, and my mentor, one of my mentors at CBS Suzanne Smith has been directing NFL games on a weekly basis for over 20 years. So, you know, women have already made amazing strides, but me being a producer and sitting in that chair is, is a little different, but there's, there's so many women that are working with me that are going to blaze right up next to me. You know, it's, I just think that it was something that maybe people didn't think of. I think it's also difficult when women are having children and, you know, you have to raise your family, which in a way, one of the reasons why, why it may have taken me this long not to, to uh, produce NFL is because I had a daughter nine years ago and I was in the studio. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that I'd like to believe that I would have had more opportunities to produce NFL prior to that. But it was my choice and their choice because it was a good fit for us for me to be in the studio at that time. Deb, what are your last words of advice maybe then for uh, for anyone listening who who aspires to, to do – to do something that maybe people don't think they can do uh, maybe 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, uh, what, what words do you advice do you have for them? Dream, and your dreams will come true. Reach for the clouds. My dad used to say to me that my uh, potential was above the clouds. You know, and so you asked me earlier, and that was something that I thought of, that, you know, here's something I'm living out a dream, and my dad is looking down for me above the clouds now as I got my opportunity, but... I just think that there's so many opportunities for women out there and you should just just really do whatever you want to do. But you have to work hard. It's not going to come easy. Mm-hmm. And you have to know that nothing's going to be given to you. You know, you need to do your work, study, 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 study and and get your experience in order to really get your shot and don't get frustrated. You know, keep keep trying and and stay focused and you'll get to where you want to go. Deb, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. That is Deb Bulak, the first female to ever produce a NFL primetime football game, doing so this past week for the Titans and Bills game on CBS. Kevin, uh, I'm sure you were pretty excited to hear that, uh, being a Holy Cross grade school guy yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was a couple of years younger than um, 
Deb and Diane, and uh, they were great, uh, great athletes. Um, just kind of takes me back with <laughs> thinking of Rodney Holmes on the uh, on the playground. You know, it was. I guess everybody's time when they grew up are uh, special, but it's nice to be able to, to look back and think of it. And she was a great athlete, <laughs> a determined person. And I guess I was, uh, you know, so young, I didn't realize the impact of her dad. But I do, I remember them as uh, families that, you know, that we went to church with and obviously went through school. Yeah, and Deb did want to make sure it was of note. She emailed me afterwards, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention my husband Jason and he's a division three <laughs> basketball coach, but he does so much. And, and my daughter, Tessa, nine years old, can you please make sure you give them a shout out? Because I, there's no chance I'd be able to produce yeah. NFL games without them and, and it makes total sense. So uh, there you go, Jason and Tessa. Mom's giving you a shout out, making sure uh, everyone knows that that you're a big reason. I, I just uh, by the way, the, the thing that stood out when I started laughing when she said it, she said her dad has that booming voice. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew he wanted to talk to me in the old press box at Notre Dame you know you couldn't see the row behind you it was too elevated up high and every once in a while just here normally in those years 2007 8 and 9 especially they weren't doing very well Mm -hmm. and I would just hear Angelo from (laughs) high above and I'd be like all right from the clouds yeah uh, I'll come up for come up and talk to you coach yeah uh, he was always so great so uh, again thanks for Deb Bullock and congratulations on making uh, history as the first female to ever produce an NFL primetime game all right uh well let's take a time out we're going to talk a lot about Notre Dame and Louisville when we come back on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays We know you like football, so do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day, free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Touchdown! Angel DiCarlo, Kevin Downey back with you on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame and Louisville coming up at 2.30 this afternoon at Notre Dame Stadium. The Irish are 3-0, Louisville 0-3. They're 1-3 in the ACC, 1-3 overall. They beat Western Kentucky in the opener 35-21. Then they've lost three straight to Miami 47-34, lost to Pitt 23-20, and Georgia Tech 46-27. We'll break down Louisville in a second, but of note, uh, Tom Rinaldi reporting that Nick Saban has now had his second negative test for COVID-19, had tested positive earlier in the week. If he gets one more negative test today, he'll be apparently allowed back on the sideline for tonight's Alabama-Georgia game. So just 2020 throwing Ugh. unbelievable circumstances at us. So that's interesting to say the least. That is interesting. So we'll see if that ends up happening. Uh, that that a big game, of course, across college football. Two teams ranked right above Notre Dame in the top twenty-five rankings. Notre Dame coming in at fourth right now in the nation. Of course, Clemson sitting there at number one. All right, uh, Kevin, what's what are your thoughts here on on Louisville from what you've seen from them? Well, I think uh, offensively. They have three really good players. The wide receiver, number one, he's a little guy, Atwell. Um, the quarterback, Cunningham, number three, he's a good runner and uh, passer. But the difference maker is their running back, number 10, Hawkins. I guess if you look at it, and you look at the record, so they haven't won a lot of games, but <laughs> they can do some things well. So uh, their offense, to me, seems like it's it's like the Baltimore Ravens uh, philosophy or plays, not players, but plays. Um, their offensive line, I guess the two issues that stand out would be they're good at run blocking, but not great at pass blocking. And then the turnovers are killing them. All right, let's look at uh, wide receiver Tutu Atwell a little bit more. 25 catches, 281 yards, four touchdowns. Here's what Kyle Hamilton has to say of what makes Tutu Atwell so good. I mean, he's first thing I think of is he's fast. He's it's hard to cover speed, and you can't teach it. So um, we have the game plan around it. I feel like we will. Coach Lee, Coach Justin will set up a good game plan for that. But yeah, I mean, when it comes to him, he's just a game breaker. Every time he gets the ball in his hands, he can go the distance. So I feel like we have going back to it. We have to be great with our eyes, know where he's at at all times, and um, try to figure out how to stop him. All right, biggest thing stopping Louisville has been turnovers. Mm-hmm. They rank 73 out of 76 
out of the Division 1A football teams that are playing football right now in turnover margin, averaging minus two per game. You almost have to try to be that bad. Uh, they've committed 11 turnovers, six fumbles, five interceptions, have only forced three turnovers defensively. Obviously, if they were to get in the plus ratio, they're plus one today. I think they would feel like they can compete with Notre Dame, whereas obviously if you're minus two, you're, you're behind in a big time. I, I think that's going to be a huge component in this game. Yeah, turnovers for sure. Well, in their defense, um, again, they, they're they not dominant, but uh, no players stand out, I guess, just their kind of philosophy. So they're very, on first and second downs, very standard, very um, basic. And then on third down, third long especially, they get more exact and take chances, and sometimes that's where they give up big plays. What worries you most if you're uh, Louisville coach Scott Satterfield? I would say that uh, just trying to to just trying to stay away from the turnovers. I mean, turnover if you're if that's your problem, you're if you're beating yourself, you're in trouble. And then what worries you most if you're Brian Kelly? Um, you know, I, if you stop the run, I think you win the game. And 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 then I would clean up, you know, those uh, the special teams errors from last week because that's uncharacteristic. I for me for Notre Dame it comes down to we we maybe have overhyped it, but I don't think we have starting fast. I mean, yep. I, I talked about it from the get go. They have no excuse now. They they have no excuse not to to play well against Louisville. They got everybody back again. No. COVID issues for Notre Dame, zero players in isolation and quarantine as of Thursday. Uh, big note from Brian Kelly. Again, we don't know what happened in the last 48 hours, and we'll see if if that changes. But um, they've had everybody at practice, so they, they, they should start well against a team that is below standards. We thought Louisville coming into the season was going to be good. Mm -hmm. They have not been to this point. So ultimately, Notre Dame should uh, come up with, with a nice victory in this game, in my opinion. All right, uh, we're, we're already out of time. That that <laughs> happens every week. It happens every week that we uh, we have a pretty good show and and we run out of things to say. Well, we don't run out of things to say. We run out of time, time. to say it. All right, that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where Eubank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator, as always, Ilya Glasman for Kevin Downey. I'm Angel DiCarlo. Kickoff between Notre Dame and Louisville set for two thirty this afternoon. Oh, we didn't give our score predictions. Go ahead, real quick. Give your score prediction. 38-14. Notre Dame. I'll go 47-17 Notre Dame. All right, for Kevin Downey, I'm Angel DiCarlo. You can watch locally on WNDU. We'll, of course, be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturday. Let's take you to the prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame Mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary our Lady, may we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Enjoy today's game. Are you feeling sandwiched between caring for aging parents while still raising children? If so, join me, Chris Godfrey, every Monday afternoon at 1230 for my new show, The Sandwich Generation. Every week I'll have conversations with experts and friends on this important calling. Being sandwiched is a great opportunity for growing on our friendship with God. So tune in for good advice and inspiration every Monday afternoon at 1230 or listen anytime at RedeemerRadio.com slash sandwich.